If you have your Bibles, and I pray you do, you should never be a, a believer without one, but uh, turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. No, 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 I'm wrong. Chapter 19. I got to pick it up in 19 and go into the parable, which is in chapter 20. Matthew 19. We're going to pick it up there about verse 27. Matthew 20, verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in this regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in his throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging twelve tribes of Israel. Every one that hath forsaken houses and brethren and sisters and fathers and mothers and wives and children and lands or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. When he agreed with the laborers for a penny, that's a day's wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out at about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth hour and then the ninth hour and did likewise. About the eleventh hour he went out and he found others standing idle. He said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? Well, they said unto him, Because no man has hired us. He said unto them, Well, go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard said to a steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning with the last Unto the first. And when they had came, they were, uh, they were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny, a day's wage. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a day's wage. And when they had received it, ah, they murmured against the goodmen of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour. They've worked for one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for one penny, a denarii, a day's wage, take that thine is, go thy way, I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what is, what is, I'm sorry, what I will with my own? Is, is thine eye evil because I am good? And so the last shall be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's stand together and pray over the text. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again for your word, and Lord, we, we love it. Lord, we just love coming together and not only singing your praises, but now having the opportunity, the privilege just to read it and to study it again. And Lord, the parables, Father, there's so much to bring out of it, but would you please just 
clear our minds, clear our hearts, remove any distractions, that you would speak to us as a son or as a daughter, and that when we leave this place this afternoon again, Lord, we could be able to tell our loved ones or whoever we're traveling with, man, it was great to be at church and in the word. Enrich us with your word today, we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said together, amen, amen. Again, we have this parable, another parable. I love studying them. How about you guys? There's, they can be so rich, meaningful, and, and, and have a lot of purpose behind them. This parable is called the parable of the laborers. And uh, with, like with every other parable we have studied, it's very important to establish the, the context uh, in order to understand and recognize the circumstance and, of course, just the application of it. Um, Jesus had just finished speaking to about uh, or to the young rich ruler. We went over that last week, and the discussion uh, kind of surrendered around his question, how can I have everlasting life? And um, so he told, his, he told what was required uh, to him and also to his disciples that you've got to become a follower of Christ to become a disciple. Now, if you remember, when that rich young ruler came to Jesus, he uh, first of all called him good master. Now, in their culture, they wouldn't call one another good. They had this thing in their mind that no one was good except for God. That's why even Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's none good but God. But yet, he still called him good because he came to Jesus realizing that whatever his answer was is going to be divine. It was going to be something heavenly. In a, in a way, maybe he fully didn't understand it, but in a way, this young, rich ruler knew him to be God or at least really connected with God, and that's why he called him good. Well, he, he informed the young man that there was one thing that was going to keep him away from following him, and that was his love for his money, for his wealth, for his master passion, the thing that he was so passionate about. He says, that's going to be your problem. And indeed it was. As soon as he was challenged, he was unwilling to follow Christ. He didn't want to give them up. Now, the, 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 the text there wasn't saying you've got to be poor um, in order to follow Jesus, but that Jesus would have to be your master passion, even if it meant leaving father, mother, sister, brother, the menu we just read just a short bit of time, uh, ago. So he also stressed with, with the disciples the danger of riches, or at least those who put their trust. It became an idol to them. He used this proverb, it's easy to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom. And then the disciples were sort of like short-circuited. Who, who then can be saved? And he goes, yeah, I get it, guys. He goes, with man it's impossible, but with God everything's possible. Meaning that rich and poor, you know, if they come to the same common ground, and that is the cross, everyone can get saved. The disciples are listening to, to Jesus in this con, um, conversation, and Peter begins to pipe in, and he, I think he speaks even on behalf of all the other disciples there in verse 27, if you'll follow along with me. Then answered Peter, said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all, and we've followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Or therefore? And again, in other words, 
this is Peter, Jesus, we're willing to do what this young rich ruler was unwilling to do. You know, he rejects the call, and yet he keeps his riches, he keeps his wealth, but we have obeyed your call, and now we are living day to day. We're living in poverty. And, uh, and I think what Peter was saying in his mind and in his heart, this just seems to be backwards. It's almost like reading Psalm 78, where even the psalmist would say, how is it that, you know, the righteous suffer, but the wicked, they keep on prospering, you know? And again, what Peter's asking him here in this text is, what do we get following you, you know? Now, this is not one of Peter's shining moments. This is, a, this is one of his foot-and-mouth kind of problems that old Pete has from time to time. And, uh, it, but though, let's give him some credit, it's an honest one, right? And probably one that you and I, we wouldn't verbalize it to each other, but maybe we ask that question from time to time. You know, like David, why is it the righteous suffer? The wicked just seem to keep on going and they're prospering. This is very important to notice that what Peter wants from Jesus is a contract. He, he, he wants some kind of something in writing. Let's record something, state something, an official statement that this is what we get if we keep following you. You know, if we're living a life of sacrifice, living like this in order to follow you, eventually, Lord, there's got to be some kind of payoff, right? What do we get? You know, and so Jesus is going to teach him an important lesson. And my prayer, of course, is going to teach one, uh, teach a lesson to us. If you're open, if I'm open. Because sometimes we'll hear things in the scriptures and it's hard to receive. And we'll just shut it off. We'll just write it off. We just won't even deal with it. And we'll just go to the next thing that might, something we might like. But the Bible teaches us, guys, that sometimes when we read the word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we begin to chew on things. And at first we like what it says. Yeah, the last will be first. The first will be last. Yeah, I'm the last. Hey, hey, I'll be first, you know. Then all of a sudden you see yourself on the other side of that coin and you're going, ooh, was there kind of some kind of contract in this for me? <laughs> you know, we become a lot like Peter, don't we? If we're honest with each other. When you're dealing with God, who is good and as gracious as, as God is, it's best not to enter into any kind of contract with him. Whether it's verbally or just in your heart. You know, the basis of reward is on his grace and on his mercy. God's going, God will exceed every expectation when it comes to reward than we could ever imagine. There's no way, no minister, no evangelist, no theologian that can get up here and tell you, explain to you, describe what your reward is going to look like, feel like, what it's going to be like. All we know that there will be a day of reward, a day of reckoning. There's going to come a day where, and Jesus was right, where God will say, well done, thou good and faithful what? Servant. There will be a reward for the servant of God. What that looks like? Are we, all we know, it's a diadem. 
That's the only thing. It's the Stefano's wreath. It's a victor's wreath. That's as far as I can describe it to you. But the setting, seeing Jesus, a lamb as though he'd been slain before the foundations of the world, looking at you and looking at me, saying, well done, man. You are so faithful without opportunity. Now, so much could be said. Look at verse 28 with me here. It says, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in this generation, when the Son of Man shall sit on his throne of glory, and you that will sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribe of Israel. Now, that must have blown their mind. They have no idea what he's even talking about. There was no book of Revelation. (laughs) For you and I, we understand that what Jesus is referencing to is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. We have been studying that on Wednesday nights. But he also brings it into the present where he said, and everyone that has forsaken the house, the brother, sister, the father, the mother, the wife, the children, the land, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. The promise is given that they'll gain a hundredfold. If they were excommunicated from their families because of their faith, they would gain a different family. Um, They would gain the body of Jesus Christ, the family of God. Now that might be a little foreign to us because not too many in this room have been forsaken of their church, their family, their kids. Right? Some have. It's come across my desk. You know, my, my... my wife wants me out of the house. I've become a Christian. My, my husband won't touch me anymore. I'm a believer. You know, my, the kids were... My, my, God bless my mom. I mean, my mom was the sweetest thing on the earth. But I remember my brother, when he became a born-again Christian, he was so radical for Jesus, he couldn't put his Bible down. And she, she was so alarmed. I wasn't saved yet. And she goes, honey, we got to get Denny some help. I said, what kind of help? A psychiatrist or something. Well, what's the problem, mom? He just won't put his Bible down. See, that's how the world views it. I said, Mom, two months ago, the guy's shooting dope up into his arm. You didn't say he needed help then. Now that he has a Bible, he needs help? Think, Mom, you better check her out. Look in the mirror, Mom. Anyway, I wasn't saved, but then I became radical for Jesus. And so did Mom. <laughs> Mom got saved right after I did. And then, then my sister, then my brother, then my dad, who I thought was the most evil man on this planet, he got saved. My whole family, instead of getting locked up on the weekends, man, we were going off to church together. That's what God does, guys, you know. Anyway, a lot of you already know my testimony. But in verse 30, he says this, But as many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now remember the context. That's where we've established. This, this young, rich ruler, he would have been, in their eyes, Well, in anyone's eyes, he's the first. He's got it all down. He's got all his wealth. But yet, when we read that whole story last week, we found out he he to be last. He walked away, bummed out. He wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to address what was separating him from following Christ. He had all the privileges, all the advantages, unlike the poor. Jesus continues to respond to Peter's question and his desire. Again, Peter wants this contract. So this is how he responds. Look at verse, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a house 
holder, he's a landowner, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now, this is probably somewhere between early or late September, early October, and I don't know, maybe he's gotten a, a bad weather report, or maybe he sees something coming, you know, that indicates there's some really bad weather coming, and he knows that he's got to get his crops in quickly. And We're not farmers here, but a lot of us know that uh, someone who has to harvest anything, they don't want to do it while it's raining, and they don't want to do it after it's raining while it's laying on the ground, because that just spoils the whole thing. So there's, he's now under pressure, and he goes there, and, and he's, he, you find him in the marketplace there um, looking for laborers. The la- landowner in this parable represents God, and the laborers represents the Christians, the followers, the disciples of Jesus Christ, you and I. And, uh, and again, um, the cr- Christians are called by God throughout the scriptures to join him. Uh, in the harvest, he, he would say, look up and see the, the fields. They're ripe for harvest. And he would say the harvest is ripe. Laborers are ripe. All through the scriptures, and he, Jesus would even teach it that, you know, today, today is the day for harvest. Today is the day for salvation. So he calls the born-again Christian, the one who considers Jesus their personal Savior, that he calls us into into the service, into, into, into I don't want to use the word ministry because a lot of people think, oh, the ministry means pastoring or evangelist or somebody that's overseeing a 501c3 you know not probably no no ministry means service it's a servant a minister is a servant he's not to be put on the hierarchy of things in fact if you looked at a totem pole he would be at the very bottom of it he is just an under rower an under rower is where everything is just dumped on him and guys i remember gail Irwin teaching many many years ago back in the 80s a dear friend of mine where he drew this pyramid and he goes okay we've been taught over the genera- over generations that the pastors on the top elders are underneath deacons are there and deaconesses are there and then you got your sunday school teachers and then then you got the people in your church and he goes but in the kingdom of god this role is reversed that the most important people in the church of jesus christ and he turned the blackboard upside down somehow and he goes it's your congregation and then it becomes your deaconess and your deacons and your elders and your pastors they're the ones that are considered last see that's the way jesus views the kingdom of god But every one of us are called to be a laborer. Now, with that in mind, um, let's just keep moving down. Uh, Knowing that we are um, all called, what does ministry look like? Well, we we can say, well, missionaries, um, children's church, park guys that's dealing with the parking lot, ushers. Um, of course, there are ministries that maybe you might be called into or I might be called into. But that's, that's sort of like what we do by Christ-like nature. We all should, as Christians, should, in, our, in our new nature now, should have a desire to serve him somewhere. Now, the problem is there have been many that come to Christ, but they don't even have one thought to serve Christ. They're just glad they they have their fire insurance. I'm glad you have your fire insurance. But there should be somewhat of a spiritual alarm that goes off in our minds and in our hearts when there is zero um, desire 
to serve the most gracious God who's calling us by name into his service. If we're not serving, there's something desperately wrong with our walk in him. Now, it sounds a little condemning, and I don't mean it, and I'm not doing this as a pitch just to get more people involved in ministry around here. This is what this parable is teaching us. This is the word of God, and this is a spiritual truth thrown alongside of a familiar story that they're aware of. Um, The Bible tells us not only are we called, but for those that are called, we have been equipped So for the one who has that dot desire, like, I really want to, and I'm just using this as an example, but I I really want to be involved with children's ministry. But I can't even stand my own kids. I get it. I get it. I've been there, mom, dad. I've raised six of them. There's times where you look at them and you think, are you demon possessed? But see, if there's the desire to be involved in children's ministry or somewhere along that line, well, then God will give you, he will equip you and he will empower you through his Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say, okay, you decided to sign up. Good luck, man. <laughs> no, he does. Whatever, whatever calling that is. I have met the, some, the most squirreliest people and they're saying, I'm going overseas to be a missionary and I would do that whole Joe Fosh thing with the eyebrows. What? You know, like, you kidding me? You, you're going to... And then years later to check up on them, man, and the fruit of their ministry is just off the charts. God equips and God empowers. He does it's just important to realize that God will reward us based on faithfulness. And again, I pray that everyone, you know, that is a child of God, that you are giving, giving it uh, thought. It's very also important to see in this parable, not only does God call us to be an influence of some sort in, the, in his kingdom, but he also does reward. I just want to throw out for note takers a couple cross reference. Let me read them to read them to you. But let me keep going in the same pace because I don't want to slow down right now. First Corinthians chapter three eight says this: Now he that plants and he that waters, they're one. They're kind of doing the one the same job. Each one though will receive his own reward. You're not going to receive a reward from what I'm doing up here, nor would I receive a reward from what you're doing down there or out there. Everyone will receive a reward based on what he is doing in that area where God has called him. But he goes on and he says, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul the Apostle, encouraging that young pastor Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6, he says this, For I am now ready to be offered, and my time of departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all of them who also love his appearing. God is going to reward. Some people go, I don't want to hear about that reward stuff. You know, I, I do it because I love him. I, I guess just tear that parable out then. 
It's God's prerogative to let us know whether we like it, don't like it, or whether we want to have false humility or maybe it's genuine humility. There is going to come a time where we stand before the living God, before Jesus Christ, and he, we will give an account on the faithfulness that we've displayed with what, in what God has called us to do. And you will receive a reward. What it looks like, I don't know. How it, what, the, the experience, I'm, I don't know. I just know it's not going to be bad. Amen, church? You with me? All right. Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus again even said, we're going to hear good and faithful. But in these two verses, there's this negotiation going on. Or pardon me, in verse 2, there's again a negotiation like good old Peter between the landowner and the laborers. Look at verse 2 with me. And when he agreed with the laborers for a penny, some of your translations might say a denarii or a denarii. But it really, what it is, is a day's wage. Between, so he's got a day's wage. He sent them into the vineyard. Now he just agreed with them. There must have been some kind of negotiation going on. He goes, look, I got all this work. You're going to work for me from the very beginning, probably around 6 6 a.m. What do you guys want? We want a day's wage. Okay, I'll agree. So this first group that he calls is under contract. They've got an agreement with him for a normal day's or daily wage. This would take place, by the way, every morning. That the landowners, if they're under, if they're in dire straits, they got to get this harvest in. They would go to the marketplace and then they would start talking to laborers. I've seen this quite often, even in my travels through Mexico, where you would go into the middle of town, a San Vicente, and you would see on these corners all these laborers just waiting to be hired. This is something that still takes place around the world today. Now, the reason so early in the morning, probably even shy of 6, p- or 6 a.m., is because for a, a, a daily labor, he wants all the sun, you know, he wants to get from sunup to sunset. He wants to get um, everything done within that 12-hour period. So they will go to work, and again, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's important. They will go to work with a contract. But when we read 3 on, verse 3 and 1, you don't see this anymore. You don't see anyone trying to negotiate for a contract. Look at verse 3 with me. He goes down at about the third hour. That's around 9 o'clock in the morning. He saw another standing idle in the marketplace. It doesn't mean that he's a slacker. He's just standing there waiting. Then he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I'll give it you. And they went their way. So again, 9 in the morning. He's saying, okay, I'll tell you what, whatever I think seems to be right, I'm going to pay you at the end of the day. Um, Their expectation would be a little different from those that were hired at 6 a.m. They understood that. So probably that's why they're not going in under any kind of contract. Verse 5, again, he goes out about the sixth hour, which would be about noon. Then the ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and did the same thing. So it's obvious. Now this landowner, he's, under, he's feeling the pressure. He sees the work's not getting done. He's got to go back to the marketplace. He sees some more guys just standing around. You're not, hey, why are you idle? Nobody's hired me. All right, I need your help. Come. And he goes all the way to the 11th hour in verse 6. He goes out. He finds them standing. He says, why, why are you standing here all day? I don't. And notice their answer, though, because it's important. Because no man has hired us. 
He said unto him, Okay, go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right. I hope you see that. It's called expositional consistency. He's saying it again and again. Whatever's right, that's what you'll get. And isn't that so true? What is right? Not what we think, or what they thought, what contract. Whatever's right, that's what you get. So again, 5 o'clock, he goes out. Finally, he comes to this group at, the, uh, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. There's only one more hour of work. They would have gone from 6 to 6, you know, and it's 5 o'clock. He goes, I can get another hour of work in. And so, so again, it's obvious that these guys that were standing around, they're not slackers, they're not lazy. The reason is because no one has given them an opportunity, an important word in this message, an opportunity. No one has given it to them. No one's hired us. Man, if they had, we would be doing it. But as soon as they had the opportunity, they took advantage of it, and they went straight to work. They go into the field, by the way, completely trusting on the generosity of the landowner. They're not going in there thinking, okay, well, if I do my math right, there's six hours. This guy gets hired at nine. This guy gets hired at noon. This guy gets hired at three. Man, I'm the guy at 5 o'clock. At least I should get this. They're just banking on the generosity of this landowner. Then payday comes, or I should say pay hour comes. Verse 8. And when evening was come, around 6 o'clock or so, the Lord of the harvest says unto his servants, or his steward, Call the laborers, give them their hire, beginning from the last to the first. And when they came... Uh, that were hired about the 11th hour. They're the five o'clockers, we'll call them. They received every man a penny. A penny? Wait a minute, that's a day's wage. That's a denarii, a denarius. That's a whole day's worth of work. They probably thought they hit the jackpot. Honey, buy the refrigerator. I made a bundle today. But when the first came in verse 10, they supposed that they should have had received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, notice they murmured. They complained against the goodman of the house. The problem was they just assumed that, wow, look, the five o'clockers, look at all the money they got. Can you imagine what we're going to get? But they received their pay, and it was just the same as those that were hired at the 11th hour. And so they began to protest there in verse 11. They protest, they murmured against the goodman, saying, These have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Man, this really troubled them. Now let's stop for a second, gang, before we're too judgmental here. I know you guys are saved and spirit-filled and filled with God's grace and mercy, and none of you would be like this. Stop. It's, I just think it's the human nature. I, I don't think it's evil, I don't, but it's in our human nature. Wait, this, this doesn't make any sense that I would work 12 hours and... And this guy works for an hour. He gets the same pay. But remember, this is a spiritual truth laid alongside of a 
an earthly story they're all well aware of. So there's a point that Jesus is trying to make here, right? Quote from a commentary. Let me just read it. It'll help me out here. The fact of the matter is that God knows that, that in the course of our service to him, we're going to run into an awful lot of what doesn't seem right or fair by our definition. He is very lavish with his grace and in ways that sometimes is very hard to understand and sometimes very hard to accept. You know, it's, it's sort of like the old preacher that served the Lord for, I've been serving the Lord for years and years and years and I got this and this young buck comes down the road and starts a church in a storefront and now people are flocking there. Lord, is this fair? We're da- it's dangerous, man. To think that we understand the way God does things. I want you to notice the landowner's response to them. And he kind of reminds them that he didn't do anything wrong. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I do thee no no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny, a denarii, a day's wage? Take Take what is thine, or thine is, and go thy way. I will give... Unto the last, even as unto thee. Remember first, last, and last first. See, that's the motto of the whole thing. He just said, friend, I haven't been unfair. I haven't been unfair. Should you, any idea, should you be jealous because I've been gracious to other people? They negotiated for a day's wage and he, they got paid. You know, their complaint is not so much that he was unfair with them, but that... He was so generous towards the others. They couldn't understand his generosity. And, and, you know, we've seen that if we've been around Christendom for many, you know, here I've been serving the Lord. I've been getting church and I've been doing this. And this guy, he just gets radically saved. He was a drug addict two years ago and now he's in the ministry. He's doing, you know, but that's just, listen, you can't reason that kind of stuff out in your mind. God does. He's not unfair. And what he does, it will glorify him. But this is what he wanted to do. So in verse 15, he rebukes them because it's a, what's it say there? You have thine eye is evil. A translation might say you have a jealous eye. A jealous eye, an envious eye is always an evil eye. It's a danger. It's a danger to be jealous over another person's ministry or where they're at in the Lord, you know. Oh, if I could just be like that Billy Graham. You couldn't be a Billy Graham if you don't have the gift of evangelism. Oh, if I could just be that pastor. Well, if you don't have the gift of pastor-teacher, you'll never be a pastor, nor would you want to be a pastor. Makes sense? Oh, if I could just have that gift of orgy, why do I just stump? Just, you've just got to accept that God has a gift and a calling for each and every one of our lives, and they're very unique. He says in verse 16, again, it's just the moral of the parable. He says, so the last will be first, the first last, for many will be called, but few chosen. There will be a lot of surprises, I think, when it comes to that day of 
reward day or the beam of seed in Christ, you know, probably even to the one receiving a reward. Wait a minute, I did, I did that? Oh, you did that. You took that opportunity, your faith. Wow, I didn't think I was going to get a reward for that. But what about the masses I spoke to and the hundreds that came to the Lord under my ministry? Oh, you received that reward down in heaven. But this one, you get my point, gang? Sometimes I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to have one of those beanie caps with a little propeller on top of it. Honestly, and it's all joking, and, and I learned this from Pastor Chuck and my pastor and all. I doubt seriously if there's even a diadem that's up there for me doing this. Pastoring. It's so much fun. And I love doing it. And I love you guys. There's some heartache in it. But that's part of shepherding. But I just love this. And I can't imagine God's going to... This is my reward. To be able to handle that which is esteemed above his name, the word of God. I just love doing it. I think where I will get that diadem... Is the night spending on my knees with my wife, praying for my son who went a little crazy for a time, or praying for my daughters, or maybe somebody in the church just needs to be interceded for and fast. The rewards will come in those areas, not this. Does it make, does it make sense, gang? Um, three lessons. I'm going to have to wrap it up soon. And, but three lessons I get out of this. And if you could jot them down. The first lesson I get out of this parable is that our eternal reward for service is not based on how long we serve the Lord. It is not. It's a misconception. You know, you look at like, and again, I love Billy Graham. I mean, he's with the Lord and all, and I talk, I talk about him like he's still here. He's home and enjoying the glories of heaven. But I used to admire him ever since I became a Christian, 19... You know, 73, Billy Graham has always been special in my heart. Chuck Smith. I mean, the guy goes, he teaches a Wednesday night service. He's in his 80s and he dies Thursday. I, I want to finish like that. But it's not the duration. It isn't a, the length of time that we'll be rewarded for. No, um, if you remember, the 6 o'clock person was rewarded today's wage as well as the 11th hour, the 5 o'clock guy which is just telling us that each one of us, when we enter into the harvest, when we are called from that point, is when that whole reward thing starts to kick in. Whether it's 6 o'clock or whether it's 11 or 11th hour, 5 o'clock, you know. And again, um, I, another quote, it just says, a parable was not saying that a person who wastes his whole life as a Christian does nothing is going to, to have the same reward as a Christian who faithfully serves the Lord. It teaches that two people take full advantage of the opportunity. Then when comes award day, you will receive, as it were, from the parable that day's wage or that reward. based Not based on the amount of time, but on, you know, the faithfulness of that opportunity that you have been given. The second thing that it teaches, that is those who walk with the Lord a long time, who, who serves a long time, uh, we cannot properly judge God's heart towards them who come to the Lord later on in life. Um, the whole thing, I, I mean... 
there is a whole world of things that God takes um, into decision making when it comes to reward. You know, for an example, you might have someone who was raised in a godly home. He, Raised in church, and at an early age, they enter into the ministry, and they they're faithful. They end up maybe marrying a minister. They may, might men uh, wind up, and they've always been in service to the Lord. And then you hear these stories where, like maybe a Muslim, an elderly Muslim, is sitting there in Iran. He gets a vision from God, and and then you, you you know he receives him and he's thrust into the ministry and he might only have 5 years to live but yet when you look at his circumstances that he has to endure and the hardships talk about leaving mother and father and children and all that the things that he the persecution and the, the possibility of martyrdom when he gets to heaven and he only serves 5 years versus the person who our life served they are still going to get the day's wage. Does that make sense, guys? Again, God takes everything into account. So it, it, there's so much more involved. It's, it's more than seniority or a title. It's, again, it's just taking the advantage of the opportunity God has given you. But if I can remind you again, something I said a little earlier, there are people who get saved and they don't even enter into, or they don't even give it one thought. Lord, what do you want me to do now? Remember Jesus to the young rich ruler. Hey, buddy, I know you've treated everybody kindly. And the, the second tablets of the stone, yeah, you got that down. But here, I want you to go sell all that you have. Come follow me. Jesus said in that section, pick up your cross and follow me. Sometimes when we enter into servicehood, there might be difficulty. And there might be things that we have to give up in order to follow him. And the question is, when that is brought to light, and I won't bring it to light, your neighbor should, none of us, we should never judge another person. But if the Holy Spirit says to you, are you willing to give this up in order to follow me? See, remember the two paths? There's a path where you can come and you can be like that servant or that young rich ruler and call him good master. I know you're divine. I know there's something special between you and God the Father. And this, this how do I have eternal life? Okay, you, you got faith in me that I'm good. See, a lot of people come to faith in Christ. But now will you take the path to follow me? Because without taking the path to follow, you can't be a disciple. Without not being a disciple, you've really never trusted him to be your Lord and Savior. You just know him to be good. And you might have even said a sinner's prayer. But the calling and the gifts is upon every child of God. We are all laborers for the kingdom. Does that make sense, gang? My encouragement to you is to seek the Lord alone. To get in your prayer closet. To find out exactly what is my call, God. You said to pick up my cross, and it's going to be hard. I might have to rearrange some of this. I might have to do this. But my heart is, I want to follow you. And I'm not going to be like this guy who was unwilling to follow you. And now I'm going to be bummed out the rest of my life. I want the joy, unspeakable joy of the glory of God. And in order to do that, I've got to be on this path of as, as a servant. Even if I have five more years to live, I want to do it. 
Or maybe you're, you're young here and this is just echoing or resonating in your heart. You can say, Lord, I'm a teen or Lord, I'm in my 20s. You know, maybe you're a six o'clocker or maybe you're a nine o'clocker. Maybe you're a three o'clocker or a five. But you're saying, Lord, I don't care where I am on that divine timetable. I just know right now I've chosen to follow you. Even if it means picking up something that's difficult to do, I'm going to do it. Because you are good. The gifts, the callings, we can, never, we can never judge or even judge ourselves or compare ourselves to other people. Don't look at me. Don't look at Pastor Juan. Don't look at Jared. Don't look at anybody. Just you and Jesus and what he's called you to do. Paul the Apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, he said this, For we dare not to make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves. They compare themselves among themselves. And he says, they're not wise. In fact, Jesus said, or Paul said, that's arrogant. To think we should compare ourselves to people who say, hey, I've been successful in the ministry. I remember there was a time in my life I was dealing with really heavy depression. Anybody ever deal with depression? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest with me. Anybody ever deal with depression? The rest of these are just lying. You don't want to tell people. But anyway, yeah, there's, serious, there's times we go through depression. And I was going through that one time as a young Christian. I went to a guy. I thought he was seasoned in the ministry. And I told him my problems. And he said, you know what you need? You need a proven ministry like your brother's. That's your answer? I just wanted to hear Jesus love me or something like that. Comparing another person to another person based on how faithful or successful is just wrong. You compare it between just you and Jesus, whether you are faithful or not. I want to um, read this to you, and it's uh, Second or First Corinthians chapter four. Um, this this is. Again, Paul the Apostle, and he, he never mixes mixed words. Moreover, it is required in stewards, servants, you and I, that a man be found faithful. Isn't that amazing? Just faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. I don't really care what you think. You know, I'm, I love this guy. Straight shooter, right? He says in verse 4, For I know nothing of myself, yet I am not. He says, For I am, or am I not, hereby justify. He that judges me is going to be the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have the promise or the praise of God. It's going to be God that gives you the reward. God will give the praise, not man. And the third thing is for us to learn from this parable. Every one of us who really, from this time on, and we decided, okay, there is a service for us. There is a calling. There's some kind of ministry, right? I recommend read the 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Read them. Ask the Lord, what is it? What's my calling? You know, um, when you decide to do that, you have to understand that you will confront a sacrifice. Maybe it's a hardship. Maybe it's something you got to give up. I don't know. The one thing you don't want to do is be a Peter and say, well, if I got to do this, what's in it for me? What am I going to get? What you're going to get 
as something that you're never going to be able you know Paul the Apostle. He, he, I think he had the, one of the most hardest and difficult. I mean talk about confronting hardship. Paul the Apostle. Stone. Shipwreck. Went without clothes. Naked. I mean he went through all this. His best friends just forsaken him. Leaving. You know sometimes he felt alone. He, the only person he had was the Holy Spirit with him. You know and here's a guy and you go man I don't want that calling Lord. <laughs> you, know, you know. Just let me be a pastor of a little church in South Jersey. But see. God gave Paul a vision of heaven, which helped him tremendously. What he, what he's, this experience of that vision of heaven, really, it, it, it kind of inoculated self-pity. It just did away with it. Because what he would say a little further after the vision of heaven, he would say, I reckon that the sufferings of this present age is not worthy to be compared to the glories that shall be revealed. He says, I don't really care anymore. Once I got this heavenly vision, once I know the fight, I don't care if you, 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 you compare me to other people. You know, the thing is, one day, see, the word reckon means tipping the scales. It's what's holding the balance. He says, when I saw heaven, man, the scales was tipped. And I'm going to, you know, I'm just about ready to give up the ghost. I'm going to die, but it doesn't matter. He just wanted to finish well. That word reckon. Hold it in the balance. I guess I just want to encourage you guys to stay faithful. What God has given you to do, if you have that call. Stay faithful. Don't just think about the rewards all the time or reward for man. Just remember that in heaven, whatever that thing is going to be like, that Bema seat of Christ... It is going to be something so glorious. Even Paul the Apostle said when he had a glimpse of heaven, he said it would be a crime. He uses the word in the old king, unlawful for me. Literally, he goes, it's a crime for me to try to explain what I saw. But you know what? Now I don't even count this life dear anymore. Because what is beholding in heaven for me? It doesn't matter, guys. You might be here today and you've served the Lord from the very first hour. Maybe your call came at the second hour. The third, the ninth. Or maybe you're right here. You know, I, I kind of look at like it. The first hour would be those that are born in the Christian home. And they go right into serving the Lord. Then that nine, nine o'clock guy, you know. He's the one who's maybe a quarter of his life has been spent. And all of a sudden he realized, I got to do, do more. And he's called into the ministry. Well, maybe that guy's what? Maybe in his 30s, his 40s. But then there's, there's that 3 o'clock in the afternoon guy. And then he's the, maybe they're in their 60s, you know, their 70s. And all of a sudden, I want to be a Sunday school teacher, you know. And they go in it with all their heart. They're going to take all the, you know, the, the, the opportunity to serve the Lord. And then there's that guy, the 11-hour guy. You, you, you give him the back row seat. You help him in with his walker, you know. He's that guy you're thinking, don't breathe too hard, man. You know, just take it easy, you know. But he's the guy that comes in at the 11th hour. You want to know who that guy is? It's the thief on the cross. That's the 11th hour guy. He rebukes his buddy that was hanging there with Jesus. What we're getting, we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Just that little simple phrase, 
Lord, remember me when you come into paradise. And Jesus, in the agony, the bleeding, busted up face. And he just said, buddy, you'll be with me in paradise today. You know how many people have come to the Lord on their deathbed because someone read them that verse? Today you'll be with me. How many guys are in prison now receiving Jesus because there were two criminals, one rejected, just like the rich young ruler, but one received? So that's the 11th hour. My appeal to you that are born again, listen, we're all called into the ministry. We're all called to serve him. But maybe you're here today and you don't even know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're that guy that can find him at the 11th hour. And whatever you do today could have an impact on your family, on your friends, co-workers, and be thrust right into the service of God. Stand with me, please. Would you just lower your heads for a second, man? Whenever I teach a parable, I just know that if, it, uh, if it's dealt with me in my heart, it's going to deal with other people as well. And I just want to know that um, are you still standing around idle and you're just looking for that opportunity to serve? Would you just put your hand up and then and just lower it back down quickly? That's all I need to see. It just helps me pray to serve us out. Anyone else? Is there anyone here? You're the 11th hour person. You're almost like the thief on the cross. You just want to say, remember me. Would you please put up your hand and then lower it down as well? Okay. Hey, for you guys that just raised your hand, would you just re please repeat? Just pray after me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your burial. And thank you for your resurrection. I come to you and I call you good. But unlike the rich young ruler, I choose this day to follow you. Call me into your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship, guys. Mm -hmm.